as I was studying for this week, God's laid something on my heart that's not easy to preach. It's hard. I was reluctant. And yes, I was up till 1245 last night studying. I was arguing with the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I don't really want to preach this. But he says, Brian, you need to bring forth my word. That's what I've instilled in you. That's what I want you to speak on. And so this morning, I'm going to be stepping on my own toes, and I'm going to try and do this in love. Everything we do has a purpose. We do things on purpose, on accident, but most of the time we do it with an intention and with a motive behind that intention. I'm going to give you some examples in the Bible about intentions and motives. If this comes and gets close to you, it's because God's speaking to you. I'm very, very humbled right now because this has really opened some eyes, my eyes into some things in my life. And as I was studying this, the Lord just kept changing things, kept dropping things here, dropping things there. I said, Lord, where are you going with this? I said, Lord, how does this all fit together? This makes no sense. 12.45 last night, well, this morning, it all made sense. And it all came together. I hope you're not confused. I hope you understand uh, what I'm trying to, uh, the Lord's trying to speak here this morning. But if you have your Bibles and if you'd stand and open up to Proverbs chapter 16. I'm probably going to be reading a lot of scripture, so I'm not going to ask you to stand every time I read the scripture. But, you know, we need to give honor to the, the word of God when it's, when it's being uh, spoken, uh, especially his word literally. I think it's a good thing. Proverbs uh, 16.1 says, The preparations of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Verse 3 is, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done and that you're going to do. Lord, I, I pray that everybody's intention and everybody's motive this morning, within the sound of my voice or even on Facebook, would be to follow after you, and not after their own desires, but after you. Lord, because uh, you know our hearts, so you know the true motives. You know our intentions. Lord, uh, I just ask you to anoint my lips this morning. Your words be spoken, Lord, uh, not mine, but yours. Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity. I bless you, Lord. And if there's anyone here that's hurting or broken, Lord, I ask you that you restore them, comfort them. Lord, and when they walk out of here, let them be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen. You may be seated. I like to preach encouraging messages. I like to be an encourager. I think God's put me on this earth to be an encourager. But I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, this is an encouraging message. He said, Brian, that's not for you to worry about. That's for me to worry about. When we go to encourage others, 
What's our motive behind it? What's our intention? You see, everything you're going to see here, there's intentions and there's motives behind the intentions. Even why you came today, what was your intention? What was your motive? Was it out of tradition? This is what we do on Sundays. Or was it to come and to give the very best to our Heavenly Father and just love on Him? See, we can have good intentions, but wrong motives. And you're going to see in the Bible here, I'm going to give you some examples that not every good intention was of God. There was an atheist one time was asked, and, says, and they asked her, says, are you a good person? She said, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a good person. She was asked, if God would judge her violating the Ten Commandments, would she be found guilty and would go to heaven or hell? And she responded, I would go to hell. I would hope that if there is a God, he would be understanding that I'm doing my best in trying to be the best person that I can every day. How many people are stuck in that very, very lie? Because that's a lie. I'm a very good person. There is no God, that's what this lady's proclaiming, but I'm a very good person. It just doesn't matter about being good. Are we good with God? Are our motives godly motives? Are we helping people just for our own benefit? Are we helping people that God's instructed us to? You see, this lady, she probably truly believed that she was a good person. But she's missing a key point. God. She's saying there is no God. But she's saying, I'm a good person. Just because we're good people and we say we do good things, but if we don't have Christ at the center of our life, it's all for naught. I told you this was going to be tough. I'm praying that your motives, your intentions, are godly intentions and godly motives. How many times have you said or heard someone say, God knows my heart. Normally, when a person says this, it means that they are giving their best effort to accomplish a task and to please God. Or it means, I'm sinning. You can't judge me because only God knows my heart and can judge it. How many know people that are in both camps? It's tough. You know what, though? Both meanings are true. The Lord knows our heart and knows if we are giving our best efforts or not. And if we are willing, willfully sinning with no remorse or concern to live a holy and righteous life. But what about the professing Christian who truly has a desire to please God, to live for him honor him with their lives, yet continues to fall short, live a worldly, selfish, disobedient life. Does God honor their good intentions? 
Today, I hope if you get anything out of this, realize that obedience is better than sacrifice. Brother Greg and I was talking about that this past Tuesday. And it's so true. He even talked about that, and the Lord had already planted this in my spirit, so I know that was a confirmation. How many wake up in the morning intending to do something good that day? Let's be honest. Or do we wake up and say, Lord, it's going to be a struggle today. I don't know if I can get through it or not. Let's be real. There are days like that. What's our intentions when we get up? Is our intentions, no matter what we're facing, to do the best we can for the Lord? And what's our motive behind it? Our motive should is be because we love Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And all that we do, our motive should be Jesus. Jesus needs to be at the center of all. Every point, every aspect, our family, our job, our health, our ministry, relationships, Jesus needs to be at the center. Jesus needs to be the motivating factor. Because if Jesus is, at, is our motivating factor, then our attentions are going to be godly. They've got to be. It's when we don't have Jesus at the center of it. It's when our intentions and when our, we start doing things that are outside what God wants us to do. And those are even some good things. You say, well, Brian, God, I'll give you an example. Somebody comes up and asks you for $20. You just give it out to the goodness of your heart, but the Lord told you not to give it. That's what he's done to me. Is it wrong that I gave them the $20? It absolutely is if the Lord told me not to do it. It's the other way. If the Lord told me to give them the $20 and I didn't do it, you see how, where we're going with this? Intentions and motives. We have to be careful. We can let things slip into our lives, and all of a sudden, our good intentions will have bad motives. You're going to work every day. You have good intentions. But are the godly intentions, are they there to provide for your family? Are you going there because you make a lot of money? Are you going there because just out of honor? Again, remember I said Jesus needs to be the center of it all. Even your job, Jesus needs to be the center of it. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be uplifted, if you're having problems on your job, look back and see if Jesus is at the center of your job. How many times when there's problems with the workplace do we not take it to the Lord? Or, better yet, we don't even profess Jesus amongst our coworkers. They can't tell any difference between you or somebody else. Remember, we're supposed to be the light of the world. Our light should carry out even into our jobs. I'm, I'm stomping on my own toes right now. Our motive has to be Jesus. He's got to be the center. When he's not the center, we're going to have all kinds of problems. We're going to begin to fail. There are three examples 
that I want to talk about this morning in the Bible. They're very common stories, and we're going to go to one that's very tragic. The first one is King Saul and the Amalekites. How many know that story? Okay. King Saul was instructed by God to go and attack the Amalekites, destroy them and their possessions, don't have any pity, kill their men, women, children, and even their babes, slaughter their cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. The Bible then records that Saul and his army let Agag live, and they also spared the best sheep and cattle. They didn't want to destroy anything of value, so they only killed the animals that were worthless or weak. That's down in verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 15. On the surface, it could appear that King Saul had a good heart and good intentions because he let Agag and some of the cattle live. However, God's response to Saul's disobedience was, Saul has stopped obeying me, and I am sorry that I had made him, made him king. That's down in verse 11. Ultimately, God took Saul's kingship from him. That's one example. Number two, the rich young ruler. How many know that story? I think the pastor just talked about that. The rich young ruler asked Jesus, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? That's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Down in verse 20, Jesus tells the young ruler, in order to obtain eternal life, he must obey the commandments and let specific and list specific ones. The younger ruler replies, all these things I have kept, and what am I still lacking? Isn't that like us? So, Lord, I'm doing all this. But why do I keep coming up short? Now, he's saying this right to Jesus. That's pretty bold. Lord, I'm doing everything that you've told me to do, instructed me to do. But I still can't seem to get where I need to get. How many's ever been in that situation? You know, sometimes the Lord is just wanting us to be a little bit more obedient and stay and hang on a little bit longer and trust him because he has something greater for us that we don't see. Maybe you have a danger. He's trying to keep you from a danger that you don't see, an issue. He can see everything that we can't. Remember, he said he never leave us nor forsake us. And I can tell you right now, the Lord has your best interest at heart. And it's the interest, God's interest. Not my interest, but God's interest. Jesus then tells the young ruler to go and sell his possessions, give to the poor, and then come and follow Christ. Then the Bible records the response of the young ruler, down in verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You see, the rich young, the rich young ruler was eager to please the Lord and genuine in his question as to what he could do to spend eternal life with him. Yet, when it came to actually time to do what Jesus told him to do, to gain eternal life, he turned his back on the Lord and walked away. How many has ever done that? I have. I've walked away from the Lord. And only by the grace of God 
and him showing me and giving me an opportunity. I'm even standing here today. There's more people in here just like that. You might be at that very point right now saying, Lord, I've done everything that you've asked me to do, but I can't get farther. Well, what's your intentions? What's your motives? Remember, if they're Jesus-centered, he will take care of them. We don't have to do things. We don't have to kick things open. The Lord will lead and guide us. The Lord will open the doors. But he does ask for us to step through them. But when he opens the doors, it's not us opening the doors. Third example was Abraham, the sacrifice of Isaac. How many have heard that? I know when you was a kid, if you were in church, you heard that. Let me just, on a side note, hearing these hymns this morning reminded me of growing up in church. Man, we used to sing hymns all the time. Brother Jim would lead praise and worship. There wouldn't be six songs. There would be ten or twelve. There would be no stopping. We'd keep on going, wouldn't we, Brother Jim? Those praise and worship singers, they were sweating, they were tired, but they were giving it to the Lord. That's what our praise and worship team did this morning, and I believe that's what you did here this morning. So it brought me back, to, when I was sitting here singing, it brought me back to my childhood. I have a lot of great memories of being in church as a child. I had a great church. We're familiar with the story of, of Abraham having to sacrifice his son Isaac. In Genesis 22... God instructed Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Without hesitation, Abraham woke up early the next morning with knife in hand, led his son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him on the altar as God had instructed. Isaac lies down on the altar to be sacrificed, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. That's in Genesis 22.10. Then in verses 11 and 12, the Bible states that But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So I've just given you three examples about intentions. What can we draw from these three stories? Well, let's first see what they had in common. All three men appear to have good intentions to please the Lord. They all did, if you really look at the stories. King Saul desired to obey the Lord, the Lord's command to go and fight the Amalekites. The rich young ruler eagerly approaches Jesus to learn what he must do to attain, uh, obtain eternal life. Abraham woke up early the next morning and took Isaac up to the mountain to be sacrificed. So number one, all three men appear to have good intentions to please the Lord. Number two, all three men obeyed God. You're saying, Brian, what are you talking about? Let me explain. King Saul obeys the Lord's command, for he did go and fight the Amalekites. The rich young ruler stated that he obeyed the two commandments that Jesus mentioned. That's in Matthew 19. 19 and 20. Abraham obeys the Lord without hesitation. Those are some common. So what's different? There's differences. 
King Saul and the rich young ruler both partially obeyed the Lord. They disobeyed these clear instructions from the Lord. Saul was instructed to kill every man, woman, child, baby, and cattle. The rich young ruler was instructed to go and sell his possessions, give to the poor, and to follow Christ. King Saul and the rich young ruler both lacked faith in God. King Saul admitted that he was afraid of the people, so he disobeyed God. I'm going to stop there. How many times we as Christians, we're afraid of people, and we disobey what the Lord's instructed us to do? What was our true intention? What was our motive? The Lord tells you to go pray for somebody? Well, Lord, they don't look like me. They don't look nothing. They don't deserve for me to go pray for them. That's the way the body of Christ thinks sometimes. If you were here Wednesday night, Brother Christian Brooks spoke a great message. There isn't a person on this earth that doesn't deserve to hear the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even the person that's shooting up, even the person that's drunk on the sidewalk. Come on, can I get an amen? That's what we're here for, folks. We're here, yeah, we come here to congregate every Sunday, but our relationships, what is our intentions? What are our motives? Is our motives to come to church to, to say, Lord, I came to church every Sunday? No, our motives should see, Lord, what can I do for you today? Where can I go and help somebody? Where can I spread the good news? There's a dying world out there. If you walked right over to this hotel, there's probably 30 to 40 people that are on their way to hell. Do they deserve to hear the glory of God? Do they deserve to hear about Jesus Christ? Us as Christians, what's our motives? What's our intentions? Are we doing this so we say, Lord, look what we've done? I'm telling you, that doesn't end well. Because he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I told you this was tough. And I pray that you love me. I pray I'm not going to apologize for speaking the word of God. We all need to hear this. Our intentions and motives, they're very important. Do we get up every day thinking, Lord, what can I do for you? Or do we get up every day dreading, saying, Lord, I don't know if I can face this or not. There isn't nothing that you're going through that the Lord can't give you strength and give you the, the victory over. I'm telling you right now, you need to start living in victory and stop living in defeat. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He came. He's won it already. All we got to do is walk in victory. You know, they talk about motivational speakers. We have the greatest motivational speaker that this earth, this has ever heard, and that was Jesus Christ. And the only thing that it cost you is accepting him as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to pay a nickel out of your pocket for him to come speak. He can speak right where you're at. If you ever open your word, his word becomes life to you. His mo- the motivation motivational phrases, you know, you hear them all the time. You know, by Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Tozer, those are great men. 
But the greatest motivational speaker there ever was and there ever will be was Jesus Christ. Why not draw inspiration from him? Why not quote him? Why not start living his life, the, the words that he gave us? Why not let him be the motivation of every day we get up? Of all our intentions, let Jesus be the motivation, be the center of them all. I'm telling you, when that starts happening, God will start opening doors. God will start moving. You will be able to do things that you never thought you could do. You'll be able to reach people. People will be coming to you because you have a willing heart, and Jesus knows right where you're at. You could be in the worst shape financially, physically, whatever, but you could be the greatest missionary that the Lord ever has, the greatest evangelist that he ever has, because your motive is genuine. Your motive is Jesus Christ. It's when we take the focus off of Jesus and we put it on ourselves. We start doing the good deeds. We start doing them just out of purpose, just out of tradition. That's a trick of the enemy. Because what happens is you start getting cold. You start getting hardened. You lose that fire. That fire of Jesus Christ put in us. That flame isn't supposed to be shut out. It's supposed to be growing. So this world can see it. Every one of us have friends and family that are dying and going to hell. What are we going to do about it? What's going to be our motivation? I pray this morning that we take a look at ourselves and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Because if we have things out of order, the first thing we need to do is repent. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. And ask for forgiveness. But don't stop. Don't let the enemy keep you down. Don't let the enemy start changing your motivations of why you do things. Because if you think coming here every Sunday, doing the praise and worship, hearing the preaching, going home for the rest of your life, is all you're meant to do, you're, you're totally wrong. You're missing the whole point of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to show us, to motivate us, to instruct us. So guess what? So we could go out and motivate, instruct others. That's how this discipleship works. Discipleship really is about motivating people. It really is. Motivating for Jesus. You folks hear me? Are you getting this? I hope you still love me. Thank you, Sister Lori. King Saul and the rich young ruler both lacked faith in God. King Saul admitted that he was afraid of the people, so he disobeyed God. The rich young ruler trusted more in his earthly possessions than he did in Jesus. He rejected Jesus' call to follow him. He was more worried about the things on this earth than what Jesus was asking him to do. Most of the time, I'll tell you, the Bible says we're going to have to give up everything, count the cost. Are we willing to count the cost? The rich young girl or was it? It was all good until he had to give up everything that he had. That showed his true motives for what he was doing. Number three, King Saul and the rich young ruler both lacked fear of God. King Saul feared the people over God. The, the rich young ruler was more afraid of losing his stuff than of losing Christ, the Lord of salvation. 
King Saul and the rich young ruler both were filled with selfish ambition and selfishness. And I'll just put another phrase in there, pride. Pride is something we as human beings have a hard time dealing with. Pride can show up in many different ways. It can be subtle. It can be apparent. But I believe each and every one of us suffer with some pride. That was what was wrong with King Saul and the rich young ruler. They were more worried about themselves than what God had instructed them to do. King Saul kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. That was in 1 Samuel 15.9. The rich young ruler kept all his possessions and, and walked away from Jesus, like I said before. That's in Matthew 19.22. Abraham, this is the third example. Abraham was the only man to exhibit the true faith in God and commitment to what? Obeying God. The other two didn't obey. Abraham did. Knowing that he pleased God, that was enough for Abraham. That's what he wanted to do. That was his motivation, was to please God and do what he said, be obedient. His relationship with God was enough, and his intention was followed by obedience. Abraham had a heart of obedience. He followed what the Lord had instructed him to do. King Saul and the rich young ruler didn't. They might have had good intentions, but their motives were wrong. See where we're going with this? We can have good intentions, but if our motives are wrong, they're not godly. We're in trouble. So does God honor our good intentions? After hearing those three examples, does God honor our good intentions? Yes and no. Depends on if our motives are truly to please, obey, and honor God. And our desire leads to the action of obedience. Remember, obedience is better than sacrifice. Back in Proverbs, what we read, starting with verse 1, it says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We see here a godly man, one whose heart is stayed upon the Lord. Jesus taught us in his own words in Luke that the Holy Spirit would put in our mouth what we need to say. Luke 12, 11 through 12 says, And when they bring... You unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what they shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour that ye ought to say. God doesn't want us for our worldly abilities. He wants us because we are willing to be molded in his image. Can I get an amen? Human responsibility is always subject to God's absolute sovereignty. Human responsibility is always subject to God's absolute sovereignty. Verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. We see here again 
The man's deeds are not always what the man really is. God looks into our heart and sees what our intents are. He judges the heart and not the deeds. The spirit of the man is what we really are. In other words, while man can be self-deceived, God determines his true motives. God knows. If your intentions are deceiving, if you're doing things out of spite, and you're putting on a front like it's all good, I'm telling you, you're only fooling yourself. God knows, and I'm telling you, and if you're doing it in God's name, be careful. That's some dangerous waters we're treading on. What are our motives? Why? Why do we serve God? I'm asking a question. Why do we serve God? Do we serve God so we can come to church on Sunday mornings? Do we serve God so we can come and praise and worship with our praise singers? Do we serve God to see what we can get out of it? What's our motives? What's our motives for serving the Lord? Absolutely. To love on him, to give everything that you have. He gave everything for us. His love, I'm t- that's why he, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first thing? What's the first part of it? Love. It all comes back to love. That's why we serve him. I just love the Lord. What I get to do, that's, that's up to him. And really, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm following the Lord and I love him, he'll give me things to do. He'll, get, he'll, he'll place me somewhere. He'll give where to do ministry. I think a lot of times we get stuck on the, the other things and forget about the Lord. And the reason we serve him. What's our motivation? I told you this was tough. Man, it's awful quiet in here. I hope you all are getting this. I like to have fun if you don't know. I feel sometimes when I preach, I get preached a little hard, and I'm like, I tell my wife, I'm like, I hope these people know that I, I, I'm a fun-loving guy. I love to have fun. You can ask my family. Ask my wife, my daughter, and my son. You can ask my wife. I'm a bigger kid in the family than any of them. I love to have fun. You can have fun serving the Lord. We need to start having fun again and start fellowshipping again. Getting our motives godly. Start loving on each other, supporting each other. Being here when we don't feel like it. Going with people that we don't want to spend actually spend time with. That very person that you despise, that very person that might despise you, could be your greatest, greatest victory. The greatest testimony to win them to the Lord. Because if you can love those that despitefully use you, we're doing what the great motivational speaker said to do. That's what Jesus instructed us to do. He didn't say turn away. He didn't say, well, forget them. He said, go to them. His brother Christian said, if the drunk, he used his brother, if the, if the drunk was sitting over here and God told you to go over and speak to him, you're going to say, Lord, <laughs> I'm not going near that person. They may cuss me out. They, they may spit on me. 
If God told you to do it, you need to go do it. God's not going to put you in danger. God's going to do things. God knows exactly what you need and what you can handle. And when you trust him, he will equip you. Things will come out of your mouth that you never knew that you could say. He will give you strength. He will give you encouragement. He will give you boldness. I'm telling you what happened. The anointing will come over you. The next thing you know, you're preaching to that person. Next thing you know, you got another person. Next, next thing you know, they're falling out in the spirit, and you've won somebody to the Lord. But all it took was being obedient. All it took was having Jesus as your motive. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves all of us. No matter where you're at, if you're falling, you're saying, my motives haven't been right. Well, there is a way to get your motives right, and it starts with repentance. It starts admitting that we were wrong, and I've done wrong. Saying, Lord, I want my focus. I want my vote, my motivation. I want to be of you. I want you to be the center of my life. I want to love on you because I want to share your love with others. There's nothing like sharing the love of Jesus with others. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It doesn't have to be just mowing their grass picking them up. It could be just having an ear for them and listening to them. I'm telling I'm feeling it right now. Woo! The Lord is here. The Lord is wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to be the center of your, fo- of your life. I'm excited. I thank the Lord for that because I was drearing preaching this message. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm tired, but that's okay. The Lord is awesome. The Lord is awesome. There we go. All right. All right. I told you I love to have fun. This body is just a house we live in for a short time. Secular humanism teaches that we are the center of everything and that we should follow our own desires. That's more apparent today than ever. But God says that leads to destruction. The flesh desires are what is right in our own sight through our flesh eyes. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants to please God and is truly the thing to do. You're constantly going to be in a battle with your flesh. Constant. It's day in, day out. It's hour upon hour. It's minute upon minute. That's why it's very important for Jesus to be the center of our life. That's why it's important for Jesus to be our motivation and everything that we do. Because the very moment that Jesus stops becoming the center of your all, you're giving place to the enemy. And the enemy starts planting seeds. Yeah, the enemy can plant seeds too. It's sowing and reaping. You reap some bad seeds, you're going to have some bad, bad stuff. But why not sow some good seed while we're here? God's given us opportunity. God's given us instructions. God's motivated us to go out and declare his word, his love, and tell this lost and dying world that there is a better way, that there is a hope, that they don't have to keep hitting the same wall again over and over and over and over again. I had a guy one time I was witnessing to. He's like, Brian, I'm tired of going around this mountain. I keep seeing the same mountain over and over and over and over again. I said, well, have you given it to the Lord? Have you talked to the Lord about it? 
He goes, no, I've talked to my wife about it. I said, <laughs> I said, nothing against your wife. You need to be going to the Lord. Why not try something different? See, giving it to the Lord is, is against our flesh. Doing it our way is the way we're ta- what we talked about, our own desires. It's contrary to what this world is teaching. Verse 3, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Every job we should do should be done as unto the Lord. I'm just going to say job, our service, our doing, being doers of the word. It should be done as unto the Lord. I can stop right there. There's your motivation. That takes care of the intent. When your motivation is godly, your attentions are going to be godly. Jobs we do on our own are doomed and failure. How many can raise their hands along with me? How many men here have tried to put a something, I'll say playground equipment, but anything without instructions? Now, come on. Mike Yost, raise your hand because I know you're one of them. I'm just picking on Brother Mike. I love him. But jobs are done for him are established forever. See, when we do them, they fail. But when he does them, they're established. They're rooted. The thoughts that are established are the things the Holy Spirit of God has given you. The Scripture tells us that we must totally commit ourselves in the sense of both total trust and submission to the will of God. He will fulfill your righteous plans, or better yet, your righteous purpose. The Lord has given us a purpose. If you read in Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, or 13, it talks about the plans. It talks about that means is your purpose. We all have a purpose. Do we want to take advantage of that purpose? Do we want to say, Lord, you are the center of my life? Or are we just going to get up day and say, Lord, whatever the purpose is, I don't know if you can do it or not. I don't know if I can do it or not. I, I'm telling you, that's a defeated attitude. Jesus came. He won the victory. If you read the end of the book, you win. Why not walk in victory instead of walking in defeat? A lot of Christians walk around with their heads hung. Not trusting the Lord. Because you know why? Their motivation isn't Jesus Christ. Their motivation is themselves. And we just read, anything that we do ourselves, is a, it's doomed to be a failure. But when Jesus is the center of it all, there's victory on the way. If you are suffering with something this morning, I don't care if it's physical, spiritual, financial, relationship, mental, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, if you put Jesus at the center of your life, your victory is on the way. Your rescue is on the way. By the blood of Jesus, you will be healed. Your bank account will be sufficed. Maybe not as great as you want it, but what you need. Man, I hope you still love me. I love you all. I do. I love each, seeing each and every one of you, and I miss those that are gone because we have quite a few missing. But God loves you. God wants to see you flourish. God wants to see you blessed. He wants to pour out his blessings on you. 
You know why we don't get the blessings? Because our motivations are wrong. Our motivations aren't Jesus Christ. We take the motivations on ourselves. Or we let a man motivate us versus Jesus. That's true. I see more people quoting other great men of God than quoting Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I'm not speaking against you. But I already said, the greatest motivational speaker that ever was is Jesus Christ. Why not quote his words? And not just quote them, why not live them? That's the greatest testimony we can have. Your life is worth everything. Jesus came and died. He didn't come so that we could just have a nice building. He came so that the whole gospel could be preached to this whole world. And it's going to take all of us doing it together. You, you've heard me say that time and time again, but I can't stress that enough. We are in the last hour. I think in the last minute. It's not going to be too much longer. But it's the greatest time we can have. It's the greatest harvest that can ever happen with the Lord. Are we want to be a part of it? Absolutely. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, absolutely. You should want to be a part of that. Jumping at the chance. Saying, Lord, what can I do for you? My life is yours. I want you to motivate me every day when I get up to further your kingdom. Not build your own. Or destroy somebody else's. Our job every morning is to get up. Our service to the Lord is to get up, love on him, and do what he has for us that day. Let him be the center of everything that's about us. You watch. When that happens, your healing will come. Your finances will be restored. Your relationships will be made whole again. You will find a relationship closer with the Lord than you ever thought that you would have. And you never know. God could open doors for you that you've had desires many years ago for. God doesn't forget those. If they're godly desires, God doesn't forget them. If God put it in your heart to be a missionary somewhere many years ago, and it's been hidden within you, maybe the reason it hasn't been come forth is because Jesus hasn't been the total center of your life. When you submit and commit yourself, God will honor that. Those things aren't forgotten. And he will make a way where there is no way. Can I get an amen? We've probably all been there. There's one last story I want to talk about. This was going to be the main focus, but the Lord changed. I want to talk a little bit about Samson. The title of the message was going to be Samson, the Collapse of Faith, but the Lord changed it. And I think this is the way he wanted it to go. You know, Samson was a Nazarite. He was going to be set apart. And he had a great calling on his life. Strong man. Very well built. Was a judge. Did a lot of great things. He was motivated by the Lord, I do believe. And his tensions were good. But 
As he stopped losing his focus on the Lord, his motivations started to change. They become self. They become his own. This was a mighty man of God. A mighty man of God. But he took his focus off the Lord. Started doing things that he was supposed not to, that the Lord instructed for him not to do. And he opened himself up to some fleshly desires. Next thing you know, he's got his head in Delilah's lap. She's asking him questions. Her motivations, you know what her motivations were. She was finding a way to destroy him. They were going to give her the money. He kept putting her off, telling her lies. You see where I'm getting at? His desire, his, the Lord was not the center of his life anymore. He was deceiving her. Next thing you know, she got him to tell. He got annoyed with her and told him how, I, how he could lose his strength. So they came, cut his locks of his hair, gouged his eyes out. Next thing you know, he's imprisoned. Folks, I don't care if you serve the Lord five months, five years, 50 years, 500 years. We can be just like Samson. We could be set apart. We could be strong, done mighty things. But if our motives changed, we can be deceived, we can be tricked. And just like Samson, there's a reason his eyes were got our spiritual eyes will be guided out. We won't be able to see where we're going. When you get to that point, you have nowhere else to turn, just like Samson. Samson's faith, his motivation had failed. It had totally collapsed. He was done. He was done. But he knew where to turn to. If you're to the point of where you're done. Folks, I was to the point, I was tired of doing church. I come into these four walls. Church split after church split. Hurt after hurt. I said, I'm done with this. If this is what church is about, I want no part of it. Because that's contrary to what the Word of God says. But like Samson, I turned my back on the Lord. Now, thankfully, my eyes weren't gouged out. I'm able to stand here before you today. But as you read at the end, Samson turned back to the Lord. He turned back his motivation. His focus was back on the Lord. And the Lord granted his one last request. And in that one, la- well, that one last request, there was more people killed than his whole, during his whole life. But God gave him the victory in the end. In fact, if you read in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 11, he's mentioned in the hall of faith. So if Samson can be mentioned in the hall of faith, what's that say about us? Have you lost your focus? Have we lost our motivation? Our intentions might be good. But what are they motivated by? Definition for intention says 
intent, purpose, design, aim, end, object, objective, goal, mean, what one intends to accomplish or attain. And the definition for motive is a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. A lot of times people will do good things. They're really not wrong, but their intentions aren't godly. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You have to discern. But how, how do you get to know those things if we don't spend time with the Lord? See, like Samson, I believe Samson spent a lot of time with the Lord before his falling. I believe he was a man of prayer. Do we pray? Do we pray constantly? Do we pray out of just, Lord, I'm praying you today. What do you got? It's not very good motive. Saying, Lord, I love you today. I give you thanks. Lord, I want to hear from you today. Lord, I want to do something for you today. Lord, if I'm doing something wrong, I'm sorry. Please reveal it to me. That's a hard one for Christians to do. They don't want to admit we do, we do wrong. And then ask forgiveness for it. Ouch, 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 ouch. Where's our motivation? Where's your motivation? You may have good intentions, but what is your motivation? Are we going to be like King Saul and the rich young ruler? Going to go part of the way, but when the rubber meets the road, we're going to turn away from God? Or are we going to be like Abraham and go full in and obey him? You're going to be one of the two camps. As a, if you call yourself a Christian, you're going to be one of the two camps. When the rubber meets the road, are you going to walk away from the Lord? Or are you going to go full in? I pray after today you want to go full in. I pray after today you leave here saying, man, there are some things that I need to look at. I need to get my motivation back on Jesus instead of self. I pray that when you leave here, that you just don't leave. It just is not a normal Sunday service. But you take this with you and say, Lord, motivate me. Lord, motivate me. And if you don't even want to say them words, I'm telling you one thing you can pray. You'll get a lot of motivation out of this. You pray for God to break your heart for what breaks his. You will not be able to handle it. Back in April, I prayed that. I said, Lord, because that's always been my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. He did. I couldn't take it no more. I succumbed. I was everything. I was, I was jello. I had asked the Lord. I said, Lord, take this away from me. Now I understand what breaks you. What breaks you. Because I started seeing people in a little different light. I had people that were broken and hurting come to me at work wherever, at the grocery store, wherever, family, wherever. When you see what God sees, you can't help but be motivated by him. His love for his people, it's something that we can't even comprehend. That was just a, a taste, because that's what he said to me when he took it away from me. He said, Brian, now, that's, a, that's just a glimpse of what I deal with, of how I feel for my people. He loves you. His heart breaks for you. If you're hurting, 
if you've walked away from him or you're thinking about walking away from him. Change your motive. Change your focus. He loves you. He's done too much for you to turn away. Because whatever you're going through, with God, all things are possible. And he can see you through it. And he can give you victory where you can't see it. He can give you happiness where you don't have it. He can give you joy that you haven't felt in a long, long time. When we come in here on Sunday mornings, we need to be joyous. We do. The two hours that we're here, let's shout and praise him. I'm waiting for a day we're going to break out and Brother Cecil's going to go run around here. Phew. It's going to happen. We're starting to get a little bit. That's why pastors asked us to come forward. Get out of our shell. Get out of our self. Get into Jesus. Again, like I said, for two hours while we're here. That crazy. That crazy for Jesus. Because it will prepare you for what you're going to face out there. Because if you can't find joy in here, how are you going to find joy out there? I'm just being truthful. I'm not saying God can't be anywhere, but this should be the most joyous time of the week. I told you I love to have fun. I want to have a service here. We're high-fiving each other, running around. We've had those before. But what motivates us? Does it motivate us that, you know, my mom and dad came to church all the time. They brought me to Sunday school and church. That's what I need to do. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for them to bring you. But what motivates you? Do you want to really come? If you had a choice, would you be here? If you really had a choice, would you be here? Or do you come to socialize? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But we first should be socializing with our Heavenly Father. Because when we do that, man, I'm telling you, it opens up doors, it opens up relationships. You'll start praising with people. You'll start associating with people. You never thought that you would know. And I'll tell you what, when that happens, it's going to draw people in here. It's going to, it has to. That's infectious. When you have the anointing, when you have the blessing, when you have the joy, it's infectious. It jumps from people to people. I feel it this morning. I'm telling you. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little crazy, a little radical. What motivates us? What are our intentions? Does this make a little better sense to you now? It may not have made, it might have been as clear as mud before, but hopefully it's a little clearer than mud than that right now. But where's our motivation? Why do we come here? Why do we get up every day? Why? Only you and your relationship with the Lord can answer that. I can't answer for you. Pastor can't answer for you. Your mom and dad can't answer for you. Young people, seek out your own salvation. It's very important. Get to know the Lord. Get to love the Lord. It doesn't matter how young you are. Love on him. Mom and dad will try and lead you there. 
but ultimately it's going to be your decision. And parents, lead and guide your children. Yes, we need to discipline them, but we need to love on them. Not beat them, we need to love on them. You can discipline them with love and with a belt. See, you guys are still, see, you're laughing now, you're awake, see, I like to have fun. The kids probably didn't like that. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God see not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. What is your motivation? The Lord knows. It's hard to end a message like this but I'd like if you can when we end here to come around and maybe spend a little time with the Lord I'd like for you, if you before you leave if you don't do that I'd like for you to do the Lord would love for you to do that too but also go up to somebody you haven't seen in a while go up to somebody you haven't really and introduce yourself let the Lord motivate you to do that we can't be coming in these doors and walking out that doors and not knowing at least each other. And if we see each other out, don't run the other way. It's happened. There's that crazy guy, Brian. Chances are, if you see me outside, I'll probably have a hat on so I can cover up my baldness, as my daughter would say. So I don't blind the people around me. You've got to have fun. I'm not going to get upset. The Lord blessed me with this bald head. But what motivates us? Sometimes when we have brothers and sisters in needs, we know about them. We'll say we're praying for them. That's as far as we ever go. The Bible says be doers of the word. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular. This, is, this goes for the whole body of Christ. Praying is good. And I hope when you say that you're praying for somebody, you actually say their name. Or actually do it. Because your words have power. You know, in your lifetime, you will say about 11 million words. Did you know that? In your lifetime, you will say about 11 million words. Your words have power. Brother Doug, that's between you two. I'm not talking about how many words you speak. Some are more and some are less. But think about that. 11 million times words are going to come out of your mouth. You know, we are going to give account for everything that we say. Why not let everything we say be motivated by God? Why not let good godly things come out of our mouth to encourage, to uplift, instead of discourage and divide. As the Lord leads you today, from this day forward, I'm praying that we all re-examine what motivates us in serving the Lord. Because when we do, watch out. We start, we repent, and repent is a key. We need to repent. When we repent and we get back on track, Be ready. God is going to bless you. God is going to do things for you you never thought were possible.